It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome back to another episode of Aggie Hoops Weekly, and we have three games to discuss this episode. We'll start with our big home win against tournament hopeful Mississippi State, followed by a couple of close losses, or tough losses, I should say, at home against Kentucky and on the road against LSU. But overall, 14-14, and 8-8 eight and eight in conference, still feeling pretty good about the season. Let's roll. Welcome back to the penultimate episode of the regular season for Aggie Hoops Weekly. I'm Blake, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend David. And as David mentioned in the cold open, the Aggies sit at a perfectly 514-14 overall, 8-8 eight and eight in conference play. When you combine home record and neutral site games, they're 10-10. and 10. And when you look at the away slate, they're 4-4. Four and four. So that's about as 500 as 500 gets, man. It is. It's uh, perfectly balanced, as all things should be. And it, it's uh, it's a interesting way to look at the season so far because uh, it's, it's the notion of if you put one foot in a bucket of ice and another foot in a pot of boiling water, you know, the math suggests that you'll be comfortable. That's You're not comfortable, but that's kind of the way this season has gone, right? Typically, if you're a 500 team and if you're 500 in every respect, the way you laid out, you know, that typically comes at the in a you know, win one, lose one, and you kind of just grind your way in an average sense throughout the year. We have not had that. We've had, as we've discussed at length, a terrible start and then a really, really impressive surge, maybe starting to level out a bit. But it's interesting. You know, it's, it's more about the journey than the, than the destination, right? Because a, a 500 record across the board may imply to some a, a boring season. But to us, man, I think it's been far from the case. Yeah, this is a definitely a much more interesting season than I think either of us envisioned at the outset so you have to really appreciate what buzz has done especially in the wake of that mississippi state win which we'll get to very shortly but there was a lot of positive talk in the college basketball landscape after that win and really setting the foundation this is something we talked about in the last episode you really just want to build the momentum for next year right give these guys a, a positive foundation to build off of. And and this was, I think, that game. So that, that Mississippi State win was really a, a big statement for this team. I think it was. And I think let's, let's jump into it, right? It was uh, what I'll lead with, Blake, because we had kind of discussed the crowd not being maybe as good as it should have been in the build-up to this game. But there was a noticeably better crowd for this game. My Mississippi State is... I don't, I don't even want to call them a tournament hopeful anymore. I think they're probably going to find themselves in the dance. Now, they still needed this game, but they're they're a solid team. They're 10-6 and six in SEC play, and we had a good crowd come out on a Saturday. So I think that was reflected in our early, in our early play. We started with a 10-4 lead. Again, noticeably higher levels of energy, noticeably louder than normal. And, of course, it was offset by a 14-2 bulldog run that had, that had everybody thinking, well, you know, that was fun. Maybe this is just going to be the way things go for the second half of the season. But it kind of flipped again. So I was worried as we approached halftime that maybe Mississippi State was going to, you know, put us in a seven down seven to ten as we approached halftime. But we stabilized things with an 11-0 run of our own. Actually, uh, went into the break with a 36 to 30 advantage. Blake, 
and we never trailed again. So we came out from the break, and again, we things stayed relatively close. I think at one point, Mississippi State may have pushed that deficit from six down to two. And then, as I wrote in my article, we unleashed hell. We unleashed our best 15 minutes of offensive basketball all season. We hit our season high in points, overall field goal percentage, and three-point percentage in a half. And the catalyst for everything, the person who just drove the bus in the second half was Chuck Mitchell, who had all 20 of his points in the second half. There's really nothing else to discuss from an ebb and flow perspective, Blake, because there was no ebb and flow. We just, it was a boat race. We ran away. They couldn't catch us. And that was that. So 87-75 final score, a heck of a performance. And man, I have to say, we just, I, I was flying after this game. It was a fantastic, fantastic afternoon of basketball. It really was. It was remarkable to see the team shoot 59, almost 60% on the day to shoot above 50% from beyond the arc, uh, 89% from the line. Just a phenomenal performance all the way around. Was really proud of the team and what they accomplished. That was a really solid quality win at home in front of a really good crowd. So hats off to the team. I'm thoroughly, thoroughly pleased with what we saw in this one. And you mentioned Chuck Mitchell. He was outstanding. But the guy that really stood out for me was Savion. You know, he's, he's been ebb and flow right he's he's been up he's been down and he hasn't been exactly what we expected but I think Buzz alluded to that earlier in the season he's not going to be the offensive juggernaut for this team right Buzz said we need him to do different things and then this one he did everything we needed him to do he was great defensively he was great on the boards he led the team in rebounding had four offensive boards which were huge Uh, 15 points, was 3 of 8 from behind the arc. I mean, Savion was was great. I know that that Chuck was was driving the bus, especially in the second half. Nebo had a great game, and I'm sure you'll touch on those here in just a moment. But I just wanted to call out Savion because I felt like this was probably one of his better games of the year. Just a, a really complete game for him all the way around. We may have to to delete that audio where we suggested that he find the bench. <laughs> I mean, we just might have to go back in time and just delete that from the internet. You can delete things from the internet, right? Isn't that, right, that's yeah. how the internet works? I yeah. think that's how that works. Uh, because, I mean, if you pull up his game log, that really was the marker in time. I, w- I would suggest that our points had some merit at the time they were spoken, but since then he's just been uh, on a tear. He hasn't dipped down below a double digit since then. So he's now approaching the form he was at last year. He's certainly, as you said, finding other ways to contribute in his uh, season high 10 rebounds. I mean, that was huge for us. And the reason I'm talking about Savion's uh, season high 10 rebounds is because we needed help down low. And we referenced this in the preview we posted on the site, Mississippi state, they crashed the glass and they crashed the glass hard. They start four guys, six, seven or taller. They have twin towers down low and Abdul, Addo, and Reggie Perry, who Perry, I think, is probably almost, probably going to be an SEC uh, first-teamer. I would say, and I stated this pretty comfortably in the run-up to the to the game, it was probably Josh Nebo's toughest assignment of the season down low, you could argue, and he was immense. He had 21 points, and he wasn't as impactful on the glass, but he played some hard minutes down low, and I think he held his own. I think he was the best big man on the floor, so it, I know it goes tiresome, right? We, we don't want to become the the... Uh, the Josh Nebo Appreciation Podcast. But again, man, I mean, he passed, I think he passed his biggest test to date. Yeah, he he definitely did. I think the rebounding numbers were a little disheartening. And in fact, in the postgame presser, Buzz actually called out Nebo and said he didn't do what we needed him to do. We needed him to dominate on the boards and he only had one. So he he did get called out from the head coach. That's always 
a little discouraging when you when you lead your team with 21 points and have a perfect night or a perfect afternoon from the free throw line, go eight of 11 from the floor, a couple blocks. You feel you feeling pretty good about yourself, and then your head coach comes in and basically blasts you for only having one board. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I think I think he did pass the test absolutely against a really really solid big man down low and Perry. Uh, actually, a couple of big men because he he played well against Adu as well. So I was really pleased with what we saw out of Nebo. I was expecting a, a pretty stiff challenge in this one, and he showed no fear, which is what we'd expect from Josh at this point. So moving away from the player-centric uh, recap, there was some real tangible buzz, dare I say, in the national media. Don't don't laugh at that. Don't encourage, don't, don't encourage this behavior. Don't encourage this behavior. Uh, he, he, but for real, he was getting legitimate traction as the SEC coach of the year when people saw the people saw this result trickle in. I mean, we were five, six-point dogs at home, I think. Advanced Analytics had us between 25 and 30% to win the game. And in, as of the as of that time, we were eight and six in the conference. People were starting to say, Buzz Williams is, the, you know, if this keeps happening, Buzz Williams is the SEC coach of the year. So, uh, that may have tapered off a bit in the results since then, but I thought it was cool, Blake, that that was, at least for me, that was the first time I saw a surge of national media really paying attention. Yeah, and it was it was very credible with with the regional media as well, right? You saw a lot of guys who who are SEC reporters, and they were, they were echoing those sentiments. So I think it's everything we've been talking about to this point in the year. This team was picked somewhere between 11 and... 13 realistically so to have a team that's at 500 at this stage and after this win was two games above 500 you really have to sit up and take notice of what buzz has done in this first season and he he deserves all the credit in the world because i don't think many people expected this team to be competing at this level but with that being said let's jump ahead to a showdown against number eight kentucky at home absolutely let's get to it and the home momentum did not stall the crowd was even bigger the noise even louder the student turnout i would say double triple what it was against mississippi state so we had all those things working for us and this was maybe like the most bizarre first half of basketball i've seen all year in that the opening four minutes were beautiful both teams were on fire like crisp offensive sets every possession led to a nice shot there was no wasted effort no wasted movement both teams bombing away from three it was 1914 kentucky after five minutes and the math suggests man we are headed for a game where both teams are going to clear triple digits and then everything fell apart for both teams so kentucky man i don't know what happened because they kept playing those same three point guard-esque guys who typically take care of the basketball they started turning the ball over constantly during a really ugly stretch in the middle portion of the first half but their defense was on point and they started forcing us into some bad positions we weren't really getting some good shots and this led to maybe the most bizarre stat i've seen this season where both teams scored more points in the first five minutes than they did in the following 15 if you can believe that so it was five minutes of beautiful basketball 15 minutes of people stepping on rakes, you know, with Benny Hill music going on. It was it was really, really, a really, really bizarre dichotomy. Halftime score was a Kentucky 36 and A&M uh, 27. I will note, coming out of the break, we really did put the clamps on Kentucky. Um, in the preview, I noted that these Wildcats, they've always had a Jamal Murray type who can just bomb away from three, who is deadly. Coming into this game, they didn't have that, and they, you know, that manifested itself in the way they attacked the attacked the rim. They had the lowest 
percentage of three-pointers taken as a function of their total field goals in the entire SEC. We, of course, do not like that. We keep everyone outside the arc, and and that's just now that's how we play things. And so we 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 did our job. We didn't let them in. The problem was Emmanuel quickly was on some NBA Jam, like literally on fire nonsense. So this guy was incredible down the stretch. We were playing well, Blake, and Kentucky went large stretches without scoring that much. But the story of the second half was quickly. Every time they needed a bucket, he got them one. And even though we had legitimately interesting passages of play where we would push the deficit to four to three and the crowd would really, really, really get into it, quickly always had the answer. So for me, Blake, this one kind of felt like the game on the road against Georgia, right? Where you just look on the court and you say, well, they have An- they have Anthony Edwards and we don't. Well, they had Emmanuel quickly and we didn't. And as I said then, I'll say again now, sometimes basketball is really pretty simple. If if, if, if someone is playing that well, you, they have them and you don't. And that's really the end of the story. So the final score was 69 to 60. I will close though, Blake, by saying it was maybe the best I've ever felt about a loss. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that the Aggies kept it even in the second half, so the second half scoring was 33 to 33, I think was a really good indicator, especially with quickly shooting the ball the way he was. That guy was incredible. I was just amazed watching him. It felt like everything he was throwing up went in. And you know, hats off to the guy. You just you you can't beat that sometimes. So this was one of those nights where you just couldn't beat it. But I think on a night where Kentucky of all teams was shooting 50% or better from the floor and beyond the arc, they were also 10 of 11 from the line and you only lose by nine at home. That's a, that's a pretty good night. The Aggie shooting wasn't bad. The Aggies shot uh, 42% from the floor and 45 and a half percent from behind the arc. I felt actually pretty decent about this one. The, as you mentioned, those stretches of play in the second half where the Aggies would cut the deficit to a one or two possession game. I thought, okay, it's if they can just get a couple stops and Emmanuel quickly struck again. So you just, you, you kind of chalk that one up to, to playing the number eight team in the country and hope for, hope for a better result the next time around. So this is this is exactly what you get when you when you play a Kentucky team. You expect this caliber of athlete, and the fact that A and M competed so well against a team of this quality really speaks volumes about the direction that this program is headed. And the announcers did a nice job in that respect, Blake. They really keyed in on how far we had come since November. There was a montage of our you know, awful nonsense in that tournament, right, of some of the terrible results we've had about some of the things people were saying about us, about the net rankings where uh, they said, which I forget exactly the metrics they, they referenced or the model they referenced, but there was a point in time where we were 100 points or 100 ranks lower than the next worst P5 team, according to some something. I think it may have been. I don't know if it was the, the official NCAA net, but it was there was some metric out there that had us as literally the worst a p5 team by by a mile and these guys they went out of their way to say this a&m team loses to kentucky by 40 in november and here they are within six you know with a minute remaining so i thought that was a really interesting job that uh, you know they don't always give you that much credit right especially in the espn family of networks where they love to to hype kentucky around this time but the other thing i wanted to note is it kind of showed us both sides of the coin right we simultaneously learned how far we had come and how far we had to go because this is the this is the benchmark, right? Kentucky is the benchmark. They they are going to show you 
what it takes to win a conference title, what it takes to be a the type of team that's going to get a double bye, finish in the top four. I mean, you need to be able to beat the Kentuckys of the world. And we're not there yet. So we, we kind of learned both at the same time, if it makes sense, how far we had come and how far we needed to go. And you mentioned a key word there, benchmark. And I think that the differentiation in this game was the mark that our bench didn't make. Huh. Yeah. The bench, the bench uh, added a total of three points. All of those coming from JJ Chandler. There were five players that that registered any points in the game: Mitchell, Flag, Nebo, Jackson, and Chandler. So, as we're starting to see here late in the season, uh, your your younger guys, your freshmen, even even Jackson a little bit. Although Jackson is still contributing pretty solidly, but those younger guys are struggling to get on the board at this point in in the season. Not unexpected. You 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 expect those guys to hit that freshman wall and I think they've definitively hit that. It's kind of a double-edged sword. You're you're leaning on your seniors and your upperclassmen. Those guys are coming to play and giving you everything they've got, but there's just not a lot coming from your younger guys at this point in the season. And and speaking of the other upperclassmen, they were the ones who kept us in this game. Flag, Mitchell, and Nebo. They were the three. They were the they were the guys on offense. Uh Flag had, was five of six from beyond the arc. 17 points. I mean, at that point, it was his fifth consecutive game in double figures. Uh, he, again, you know, a stabilizing force who is really, really necessary on, on a night where some of the younger guys may not have it. Uh, Mitchell, he got his. He's been kind of quietly, Blake, averaging between 15 and 18 for quite some time now. But the difference I've noticed with him lately is his efficiency. He's always, you know, Chuck's going to get his. It may take 20 shots, but he'll get it. But lately, that's not the way he's been operating. So he was 6 of 11 shooting uh, in this game. And at least as of the time of, of the print recap for the Kentucky game, he was 19 of 31 for 61% over his last three games. So he's still getting his buckets, but he's doing them, I would say, more efficiently than he has in the past. And then, of course, Nebo, he had a dozen or more for the fifth consecutive game. Not really much else you can say about the guy, but it was, man. It was a it was a senior or it was an upperclassman-laden performance. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, it certainly was. As you mentioned, I, I like seeing Mitchell and his efficiency this is something that I think both of us pointed out earlier in the year. You 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 really struggled to see Mitchell putting up 15 to 20 shots a game and coming up with 10, 11 points. It just, it was not a fun experience. I'd like that he has stabilized his game. His shooting has improved over the course of the year. And you're starting to see the Chuck that, that we knew was, was there. We were just surprised that he hadn't shown up to this point in the year. But I think... It's good to see him coming around for this stretch run. So with that being said, before we jump into the last game, let's take a quick break and hear a word from our sponsors. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. All right, everybody, welcome back. We have one more game to discuss, and I'm going to jump right into it. Our trip yesterday to Baton Rouge to face the LSU Tigers. And this one wasn't really that great. I don't want to lose too much time discussing the back and forth because that implies there was a back and forth and there really wasn't. I guess technically there was in that we hit a three to start the game. 
and we never let again. So that's there's your back and forth, right, Blake, is that we started 3-0, and the Tigers took over at that point and never let the lead dip below seven in the second half. So uh, there's a couple of fun things I like to I wanted to include. Uh, Ken Palm, which I know you and I both adore, they have uh, Ken Palm has tension and excitement ratings associated with the game. The tension rating was 0.08, and the excitement rating was literally 0.00. So it's like, <laughs> why are you and I speaking about these things in their microphone? I don't know. But what I think is the more interesting way to approach this game is to to focus on the stats and some of the things we did learn, right? So I'm kind of booting my recap to you. LSU won 64 to 50. It wasn't really that close. We did a good job sticking around longer than we perhaps should have, but ultimately we, this was just a good team taking care of business at home yeah it was Skylar Mays was everything you expect Skylar Mays to be he played well on both ends really there's a couple stats that you can point to in this one. First of all 13 turnovers you look at that and say well that's that's an a, a okay night for the Aggies that's about average right when you compare that to the four turnovers that LSU produced that's not a good night. You're going to struggle to, to stay in the running when the, the other team is taking care of the basketball and only turning the ball over four times. The other is the steal numbers. A&M only generated two steals while LSU generated seven. So if you're, if you're turning the ball over, the other team's taking it away, they're producing points off of those turnovers, and you don't have any extra possessions in there, that's, that's going to be about all, the, all you wrote, right? That's exactly right. And the, the things you're saying are just global truths in college basketball. But I think some of those things apply to us very, very specifically. And in a game like a, a road game at a top half SEC opponent, we have to generate points from our defense. So we have to turn the ball over and we need to get buckets in transition. What we don't need is a situation where for all 40 minutes we are forced to generate our points from offensive sets. And that's what LSU did a great job of. So when they take care of the basketball, when they only turn the ball over four times, not only are they getting better looks and more efficient looks they're preventing us from getting anything for free and so that was the uh, that was the part that stuck out to me was literally zero fast break points only two points off turnovers in general and then uh, buzz has talked about cheating the clock and to him, when he says cheating the clock he talks about how important it is for this team to get to the line and to just grind our way to 60 65 points with the help of 10 15 free throws we only got to the line nine times, and we only made one. I mean, one for nine from the line is a crime against basketball. It's an atrocity. And it was, there was a specific part in the second half, Blake, where we were only down seven. And this was the kind of game, by the way, where the announcers would look at the game. Or the announcers would say things like, it feels like LSU should be up 25 and they're up seven. Like, none of it made sense. We shouldn't have been hanging around. We had a stretch where we missed four straight free throws down seven. So we could have really pushed this into uncomfortable territory, right? And a territory we didn't even deserve to be in, to be fair. But we could have really pushed this thing and seen if LSU could have held their nerve down the stretch. And so it stung for it stung to to have that chance that you maybe shouldn't have had and would not get on another day, and then to just boot it at the free throw line. Um, but I do want to transition to a couple things we did well, and I want to start with the rebounding because we played very well against LSU and other facets in the uh, in the game at home where we lost in overtime. But they murdered us on the boards that day. They had well over 50% of an offensive rebounding rate. And today we we shored that up. Uh, Nebo played really, really well. He had nine rebounds. Like we played Josh for 39 minutes. I think that's a direct correlation to the fact that LSU killed us so bad on the glass in the first one. And he was just saying, you know what? Nebo's playing 39 minutes. I think Flag played 38. He's, he's my best rebounding three. And he just said, 
I'm rolling with both of those guys, and rebounding is not going to be a problem. And it wasn't a problem. We actually had an 11-to-1 advantage in second-chance points, and we nearly lost the rebounding battle. So that's one thing I want to file away. Fixed the rebounding thing against LSU, so good job there. Again, Savion Flag, 5-for-6 again from the three-point line, led the team with 17 points. Blake, he has snuck into, if, if you're considering conference games only, Flag is now just outside the top 10 in the SEC. That's how hot his shooting has been, is that this guy on a team that, you know, was historically bad earlier in the year is now just outside the top 10 in SEC play. And then finally, one more thing I want to fire off. I know I'm taking a bunch of points in a row. We tend to volley them back and forth. I have to have to talk about Yeezy. Goltekin played 20 minutes. He gave us seven points, and he gave us, like, legitimately quality minutes. This was not throw Yeezy out there because we're down 15 and we're just going to run out the clock. He was, this is not an exaggeration, he was the reason Things stayed close early in the second half. He had all seven of his points in like a three to four minute stretch of, you know, when the game was close. So he was a, he had a really positive impact. He did a nice job on the spear of that extended one, two, two. So that's my final that, that's my final quick uh, shout out was good job. Goal Tekken. Uh, it was just it was positive, right? It was positive to see him get to contribute quality minutes in in a game like, you know, in non throwaway minutes. So. There's the positives, and I'll leave to you, Blake, any any one of a number of negatives you'd like to discuss. <laughs> well, I think you've covered most all in all of those directions. I'll just hit on a couple things. Uh, Yeezy, uh, I just want to tack on that you really saw him step in and kind of compliment Miller. Emmanuel Miller was on a hot streak in, in for about a run of eight games. The, the guy was just phenomenal. He's cooled off a bit. His rebounding numbers are down pretty significantly. He only had two in this one. So I think that that was why you saw Yeezy get more minutes. And he he made the most of it. He had four boards, the seven points you mentioned. He looked good. He looked really good out there. So it's nice to see that there is some depth evolving. Yeezy has been kind of up and down, and you're not really sure where Goltekin's game is going to fit. But I think you're starting to see him get a little more comfortable and and find his way in this system. So that was really comforting to see. Uh, again, it, it was the it was the upperclassmen show. Outside of Yeezy, nobody else had more than five that doesn't have a junior or senior by their name. So Flag and Nebo were really the driving forces offensively. I think Nebo's effort on the boards was a direct result of being called out after that Mississippi State win. You've seen him take that to heart and really step up in the last couple games. The Kentucky game wasn't great on the boards for him, but this one against LSU, he really made it a point to to get in there, mix it up and and keep things close rebounding wise. So credit to credit to him for really solid effort on on that phase of the game. And I'll close this game Blake by once again pulling the discussion back to the narrow path we've discussed, the narrow path to victory. It's a path that we have to stay on if we want to beat decent teams and it's a path we have to stay on if we want to keep it close against the good teams. And we just didn't stay on the path, right? Those the things that we have to do, control the pace, have really efficient offensive sets, control the boards, get to the line a lot, make our free throws. These things don't guarantee victory for us against good opposition. These things are the price of admission against good opposition and we weren't there with, you know, a number of those things. So this is really just what it looks like, right? If if we don't stay on that narrow path against quality opposition, it's going to be a game that's pretty comfortably in the other team's hands for the full 40 minutes. Yep, that's exactly right. And the, the path is only going to get tougher in the next one. So the Aggies' next game is Wednesday night 
at Auburn, number 15 team in the country. Bruce Pearl's got that team playing well. I think this one's going to be a, a pretty tough climb for the Aggies. I don't see a lot of opportunities here for an upset, but you never know. Maybe maybe these guys have a chip on their shoulder and, and come in looking to knock off Auburn. I think Auburn's going to be pretty dialed in. However, just leading into the SEC tournament, they're going to they're going to be focused. They they have as good a chance as any team in the country at at making a deep run in the NCAA. So, Bruce is going to have that team locked in and they're going to be ready to fight. And they're undefeated at home. So, the 24 and 5 overall, all five of those losses have come away from home. And I, just from, you know, following the pieces of Auburn Hoops Twitter that I do, not losing at home is a big deal to them. They take their revamped environment under Bruce Pearl very seriously. That place is an absolute zoo for home games. It is, I don't want to say it's as loud as Arkansas's arena can get or as loud as Rupp can get for big games. I would maybe say it's just, it's the tip of this, it's the tip of that second tier beneath those two. That place is going to be rocking. So it's, it's going to be senior night for one. It's going to be them trying to put the clamps on a completely undefeated season at home. And they've got plenty to play for outside of those other two things. So I'm with you. Uh, but even before we get to the the actual difference between the two teams on the floor, there's a lot narratively and a lot off the floor working against us in this one. You're absolutely right. But things look decidedly more even uh, for the Saturday tilt. You guys head to StubHub. Our friends at StubHub have tickets for the senior day game against Arkansas at Reed Arena. Get, get your tickets, get out there, support these seniors. We have a handful of guys, Nebo, Mitchell, French. These guys, this is going to be their last game at Reed Arena, barring an NIT run or something along that line. But we we want to send these guys out with, with a good show of appreciation for everything that they've done for the program. These guys have contributed a lot, especially over the last couple of years. We've really leaned on, on those three to help drive this program and so I think that there's a good opportunity. There's going to be a lot of emotion in the building. I wouldn't want to be facing a, a Josh Nebo and Chuck Mitchell playing, playing with some emotion. I think that that's a, a good recipe for the Aggies. So we'll see how things look uh, on senior day on Saturday. I'm feeling pretty good about that one. I think we're going to come away with a win. And truth be told, I think things aren't going to go great at Auburn. And we're going to end the year with a 9-9 SEC record. There is one thing I want to note, because I know Arkansas's results haven't looked great. They're 6-10 and 10 in conference. A big piece of their slide was the was the fact that they were missing Isaiah Giota injury. So that's probably pretty clearly their second best player. He missed all five games in an 0-5 stretch where they just cratered, where they just fell off the face of the earth. Since he's been back, they've, they've uh, beaten Missouri and Tennessee and lost to Georgia, but they've looked decidedly better. So it's worth noting that it's a slightly misleading 6-10. and 10. But even with that, I, I expect to take care of business to finish the season 9-9 nine and nine and to somehow, against all odds, find ourselves legitimately in the middle of the pack for the conference tournament in Nashville. Yeah, and we will have an episode to preview the conference tournament. So we'll wrap up the, the regular season and look ahead to the conference tournament. And then from there, we'll wait to see if there is any postseason play for the Aggies. Maybe there's an outside shot at an NIT birth and we'll we'll cover that whenever the, that time comes sounds great to me buddy talk to you soon we'll wrap up the season and look forward to nashville sounds good talk to you next week